At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. What's up, guys? We're back. I'm glad you're back to listen to another episode. And we have a, a cool episode, super cool, because we have a, a gentleman, Jonathan Dyson. Jonathan, I hope I said your last name correctly. I, I, I hope I did. But we got Jonathan on the podcast. Jonathan lives in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. And he has three tickets currently, three licenses, and he's going for his fourth. He's got his sheet metal, he's got his plumbing, he's got his gas, and he's going for his refrigeration. I don't know anybody that has taken their education to that level and obtained that many licenses. And he's only 33 years old. And Jonathan and I are going to talk about a whack of stuff. We're going to talk about gas licensing, how it works where he is, how it works where I am. We're going to talk about controllers for refrigeration, supermarkets. So supermarket refrigeration you need you need building management systems in order to operate everything because it's a very integrated system in supermarket refrigeration there's a lot of moving parts and we're going to talk about the differences in in some of those controllers we're going to have a discussion as well on on how jonathan has kind of kept working through down economies like right now we're going through covid and and how he's always maintained his work and kept going and kept pushing through. So we're going to get to Jonathan right now, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast, and I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry, discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, Jonathan, I just hit record, man. So uh, this is this is the real stuff. This is where it gets, uh, this is where it matters now. <laughs> awesome. How you doing? Well, first of all, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I've been listening for years, um, at least two years. And, uh, I, and then I started following your Instagram page. And I just, I have a lot of respect for what you do and, and what you're doing for the industry. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, um, I do take, I do take, I do take pride in the amount of time that, that I spend on this just because I feel like it's, 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 it's helping somebody. And, um, when I, when I get the, the feedback like that, it kind of, uh, it, it really sticks. It really helps me say, Hey, I'm going to continue to do this because, if, if all the feedback was negative and like, Hey, I hate what you're doing. You suck. I'd be like, okay, maybe I should rethink everything here. And, and but I, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. I appreciate it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you do it because you have like the Instagram page, which is a lot of work, but then you also do YouTube videos and the podcast. It's crazy. And I, I was think like, I, I see your Instagram page and, and, um, you know, there's a bunch of other Instagram, uh, 
HVAC influencers, I guess you could call them. And I've always thought, wow, I, I work on such interesting equipment and such a variety, such a variegated kind of uh, uh, plethora of different equipment on a daily basis that I should really start Instagram myself. But the problem yeah, is that should. being in supermarkets, like last week, I worked 70 hours last week, and it's wow. it's not unusual to work those hours during the summer. So it's 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 a big commitment, especially because I feel like there's a lot of Instagram pages that are like HVAC Instagram pages, which are like kind of mediocre. And I would want to be one of the better ones, but the better ones seem like a lot of work because you got to curate the content. You can't just throw every filter change on there. You know, you have to curate the content yeah. from an edu- educational angle, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what? It's, it's. I would say Instagram because YouTube's a lot of work. I'm not gonna lie, and that's why I don't have a lot like doing the podcast and the Instagram and the Facebook and all that. Um. YouTube is a lot of work because if you want to do YouTube properly, first of all, you have to film it. Then you got to edit it. Then you got to build a thumbnail. Then you have to write in all your tags. And if you want to get heavy on the tags, you use I, I use a thing called TubeBuddy and a lot of YouTubers would use it as well where you check the tags to make sure they're, they're good tags and YouTube or TubeBuddy or YouTube sees them as being valid and, and, and a good tag to use because sometimes you'll write in like, if you're working on like a, like a compressor and your tag is compressor, like there might be a lot of search volume on that where it's not a good tag for you to use because there's like too many people using that tag, right? And there's a ton of search volume. There might be a ton of search volume on it, but there's so many people using that tag that you're just a needle in a haystack. And that's wow. what TubeBuddy helps you do. So you got to go through all your tags if you want to do it that way and and make sure they're good tags and stuff like that and then like your your title and your summary um the tag the words and the tags need to be included and it's it's there's i don't know there's a whole like uh algorithm i guess that youtube uses to 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 share your videos but it's (laughs) funny because i've made videos um that have had zero like before i knew about all of this that have had zero tags you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and they, they had like a, a lot of views. Like I've got videos from like two years ago. Like one of them's got like 30,000 views or something like that. And, and I put zero tags on there and then videos that I put tags on and I spend the time to do it. They don't get a lot of views. It, it, it's, it's really weird how, how it works, but YouTube's a ton of work. I find Instagram because like you can do your IGTV and make a longer video, but yeah. I try to keep the, the videos one minute long. And yeah. if you're already working on something and you know that thing, you could just start recording and make a one minute video and just say, this is this is a compressor or this is this. This is how it works. Check it out. This is pretty cool. Um, catch you on the next one type thing. And then then you're yeah. done. Like, and, and then you just hit send or post and, and that's it. And then you try to maybe follow it up with like a couple of sentences of, of maybe what you couldn't get into the video. And I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's a lot easier than, than YouTube for, for sure. So, I mean, yeah. if you do work on a lot of interesting equipment, I, I encourage you to get out there and try it because I might, I think, I think you'll yeah. find that you'll get a lot of good feedback, positive feedback and, and people will start to message you like behind the scenes going, that was a cool video, man. Like, can I message you if I'm ever in a jam and stuff? And if you have time for that, that's cool. It's cool to help somebody out that's in a jam because one time you might be in a jam 
and hopefully that favor is returned out in the the universe so it's like kind of like your the universe balances out in in, in a way right <laughs> mm-hmm. and i do i do use social media for uh, uh troubleshooting as well in some instances um usually when i'm on call and it's when all my coworkers are sleeping for example there's a, a supermarket technician facebook group that has all these grizzled technicians from Hussman in the u.s they've worked for they work for in-house for Walmart, for Target, and these guys have been in the industry for decades. They've seen it all. So you can honestly almost run into anything in a supermarket and post to this group and you'll get you'll get a lot of help. So Facebook, so there are some Facebook groups which are useful for things like that. Um, there are some, yeah, there there are there are there's there's a handful out there that are useful, and then the other ones are like <laughs> not 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 so useful. Yeah, lots of memes and trolling, but you know what? The memes are fun too. So, yeah, cool. So but I do. I sorry, I was just going to say I do have some experience recording these one minute videos you speak of, such as you do on your Instagram, because my my company, uh, Gateway Mechanical, we actually use that XOI platform which you've talked about. So yep. we've, I think, we were the first company in Western Canada to start using it, and nice. it's been a it's been a big hit with the customers. So lots of you know, recording one minute videos, you try to keep them short, just short and sweet. So you can send to the customer, they can see what you're talking about and customers love it. So it's a pretty useful tool for stuff like that. Yeah. Customers do like the visuals. I mean, especially if the customer is not that type of customer that is going to go on the roof or go into the mechanical room or, you know what I mean? If they, if they sit in an office and, and they want nothing to do with, with that side of things. But when you take them a video or a part that's burnt up or something and you actually physically show them it yeah. gives them the 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 visual they need to make the decision on the repair quicker and and I and I did that with one of my apprentices back I don't know 3 4 months ago we were working together and there was a problem um with a unit up on the roof and I took mm-hmm. took a picture and I brought it down to the customer and I'm like this is what's happening here and we walked away because he gave us the go ahead. He's like, fix it, fix it, just fix it. And then as we're walking away, the apprentice turns to me. He's like, the picture did it, didn't it? And I'm like, yep. I said, if I just had a conversation with him, he might've been like, uh, I don't know, maybe give us a quote. But as soon as I brought out that camera and showed him the picture, it was like something just snapped. He's like, yep, just get it done. Yeah. Something about the visual. It's, it builds, like it helps build trust, right? So it's not that maybe our customers don't trust us, but they just need that. They, just, I don't know, maybe customers have been burnt one too many times, but it's something about that visual uh, proof that uh, that is just sometimes all they need to really pull the trigger on a repair or a quote or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, hundred percent. Exciting times. <clears throat> so let's let's get in let's get into uh, you and and um, and and what you do. And you were saying you started off in the trade working on gas and I'd like you to explain how you're, so you're, you're in Western Canada. So what province are you in? So I'm in Alberta, um, in Edmonton, the capital of Alberta, uh, basically, basically been here my whole career. Um, I'll just, uh, uh, circle back to what you said. I I did start out in sheet metal. So I, yeah, so I got my red seal sheet metal ticket. Um, that's four year apprenticeship and I did that and that's, you know, um, the small sheet metal company I worked for was how I got exposure to things like um, gas and air conditioning because in the residential world, 
which is what I did a lot of, you do the air conditioning. Refrigeration mechanics don't usually do the air conditioning. It's sheet metal workers that do it. And they're allowed to do work on systems up to, I think, five tons capacity. So, uh, and we would work on rooftop units too. We would install the rooftop units, do the ductwork and do the balancing and do the air conditioning, split systems, mini splits, you name it. So that's kind of how uh, I got into the trades. And I do, I, I am a big proponent of the sheet metal trade because it is a good, uh, I would say starter trade uh, into the, and it overlaps, it dovetails so nicely with all these other trades that uh, it's just a great ticket to have under my belt. And I, I leverage those skills on almost a daily basis. Even if I'm not bashing tin on a daily basis, I still use those skills. It, it is a good, it is a really good skill to have. And I'm going to admit I have zero sheet metal skills. I shouldn't say zero. Maybe if we went on a scale of like one to a hundred, my skills are like probably at the, the, the 1.2 mark of a hundred. <laughs> they're just, they're not there. And I mean, I was never really exposed to sheet metal yeah. through, through my apprenticeship at all. Like I, I was never sent on sheet metal jobs. We always had a sheet metal division when I first started and those guys would handle that. And because I wasn't in residential, there was never a time for me to go, Oh, we, we put this new furnace in and we need a transition and we got to build one on site. And I've never been exposed to that. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess that exposure, I, I lacked it through my career and that's kind of why my sheet metal skills are, are subpar. Yeah, that's okay. You know, sheet metal has its limitations too. Obviously, that's why I'm not in it anymore. The biggest limitation being is that outside of the residential section, like sector of sheet metal, it is largely just a construction trade, right? So you are very much in the swing of the construction industry, the boom and bust. So that's why uh, I prefer the I prefer service. And to get into service, I got into plumbing after that. So I actually did my plumbing ticket after sheet metal. So it's been a, a very long road, a long circuitous route to get into refrigeration, but uh, it's been an enjoyable one. I did my plumbing ticket. Again, I did some residential plumbing, residential construction, commercial construction, residential service. And residential services is how I got my first exposure to the service industry. And it, it taught me great skills as well. I'm no longer in residential. I work on commercial, heavy commercial, even industrial. But I do greatly value what I learned in residential service in that it taught me sales, which I feel like a lot of commercial uh, technicians are lacking. So you learn how to, how to be a salesperson, which I, I don't always enjoy that aspect of it, but it was still super helpful skills to learn. And you yeah. really have to learn that in residential because unfortunately, that's like half the trade, right? I mean, I think you'd use that term um, for uh, sales techs. Don't you call mm -hmm. them sales techs? Which is yeah. which is sadly true, right? That's what unfortunately they're forced to be, right? They when I did when I was in residential, we spent more time training on how to do sales than on how to fix stuff, which is sad, in my opinion. But um, but that's the that's the way the industry's gone in residential, and unfortunately, that's you know that's just the way it is. Yeah, All I well, can do I, is, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say like. I'm all for sales. Like I, I'm not anti-sales because you need sales in order to, to keep, to keep business going. Right. You need, you need yeah. them. Um, but I'm, I'm just not for the, the, that, that's, that's, we get into the sales tech conversation where there's minimal, 
there's minimal technical skills and they walk into a system that's not running properly, they, they don't even do a diagnosis and they try to sell the homeowner on a brand new unit without even attempting to figure out what's wrong. That, that I find is a, is a flawed system. You know what I mean? Well, because I, I, I feel that the customer should be educated on what is wrong properly. This is what's wrong. And these are the options we can lay out for you. We can fix it. It's going to cost this much. Um, we can put in a new unit. It's going to cost this much. It's going to be a little bit more efficient. You're going to have warranty on it. Do you got, what do you guys want to do? Right. There should be, there should be that education and there should be that, those options laid out for the customer. I agree. And unfortunately it seems like, like from my experience in residential service, it seems like for whatever reason, the profit margins in retrofits, furnace and air conditioning retrofits is so much higher than the profit margins of just running regular service calls that that's why the technicians are trained to push customers towards replacing stuff, replacing equipment, as opposed to fixing equipment. But mm-hmm. the best analogy I can think of is like for a for you to call someone to come and fix your air conditioner or hot water tank or furnace or whatever, for you, for you to call someone to come fix it and then have them try to sell you a new one is like you taking your car to an automotive mechanic and your automotive mechanic being a new car salesman at the same time. It's a total, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a conflict of interest, a flagrant yeah. conflict of interest. And it's, you know, it's just ridiculous. I understand sometimes there's no choice. Like if it's an old furnace with a cracked heat exchanger, sometimes it does make sense to replace it. But, um, but more often than not, I think, you know, repairing and fixing is a viable option that gets glossed over by the techs and by these sales techs. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah, that that's why, that's why there's um, a disconnect between, I think the the true, um, the true service tech that takes so much pride in fixing units that they just don't understand why you would go out to a service call and not try to fix the thing and get it back up and running almost better than it was before. Because they just don't understand the aspect of, of selling someone a new unit when, hey, I can fix this one for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, but but like I said, there you need sales in order for your business to survive. You can't just be running and fixing service. You can't just be fixing things all day. At some point, you do need to sell some stuff. That That's, that's you need to have a You need to have a balance. You really yeah. do. You need to have a balance there. And, so, and I, I mean... I also sorry, sorry, I, would, I would also add that I think technicians should also have both experience, right? So yeah, the they should. There, and it's not just residential; this is commercial too. You're either relegated to an installer or a technician, and I think everyone should have a taste of both, right? You know, I agree. Get their toes in both, and it will make you a more well-rounded, well-rounded technician in the long run. I, I agree. There's there's a lot there's a lot of companies out there where um, they don't have like a an installer and then a service tech and and that's what you're tagged and that's what you do. There's a lot of companies out there where it's like you're both and you, you commission the equipment, you maintain the equipment, you install the equipment, you service the equipment, you do everything. And I think that, I think, like you said, you're more well-rounded when you get to experience all of those different things. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's hard to achieve that these days, but uh, it, it is the goal. That was my goal. And that's, that's partly, you know, why I, you know, Partly because I did multiple trades, but partly because I've done both residential and commercial and heavy commercial aspects of the industry. 
that I'm able to uh, be as resourceful as I am, um, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that we should touch on the the gas licensing thing because sure, it, it's it's funny how it's it's different all over the place, and it's we've a touchy talked about subject. it. Yeah, we we've talked about it before. And I don't know how, what it's like in every province in Canada, and I don't know what it's like in every state in the U.S. or Europe or Australia or, or, or wherever. I don't know how, how the laws all work. I know how it works here, and you're going to tell us how it works where, where you are, but there's no way that you can live in Edmonton and, and not be, be an HVAC tech and not work on gas because what, what a, the winters get so cold there, right? <laughs> like yeah, minus, that's, yeah, yeah. Minus 40, sure. like most of the yeah. time. <laughs> Thankfully, not most of the time, but some of the time. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely cold, long winters. Um, and so it is good to have a gas ticket. But uh, like, I, so gas licensing is super inter- interesting. Um, it is the norm in the industry for refrigeration mechanics to work on gas, but not have a gas ticket. Um, and it is the norm in the industry for gas fitters, both, uh, I'm going to say class B and class A, but in your case, I would say G1 and G2. I think um, we need to explain those quickly just before we, sure. we move on for the people that don't understand. And I, and I think that's pretty important. So, Sure. So I, I we, know, we've, in Alberta. Um, yeah, go, go, go on. Okay. So class A is there's two echelons to gas fitting. And it's okay. basically divided into the, the BTU uh, capacity of the appliance you're working on. So, and that threshold is 400,000 BTUs. And so, uh, and I think this is more going into the history of it, but I think because gas fitting used to be part of plumbing, it never used to be a separate trade. So plumbers were automatically gas fitters, but I think sometime maybe in their eighties or nineties, it depends on the province and I have no idea how it works in the States, but it, depending on the province, they were separated. So then gas fitting became a separate ticket and I think because the skills, like the skills knowledge that plumbers had was diverging so much from what people who worked on gas appliances had. So it, and unfortunately it's, it stands true to this day that your average class B gas fitter, also equivalent in Ontario to a class, I think two gas fitter, because you guys have a class three as well, I believe. We, but, yeah, the, the, the way it works for us is we have a G1, a G2, and a G3, yeah. right? So a, a, G, a G3, uh, once you get that, you're basically, you're allowed to work on gas. Um, I actually, I forget the rules on that because <laughs> I was a G3 a long time ago. But you're allowed to work on it, but you have to be under supervision. You can't just go out and, and start running, running your own calls and stuff. You're not really supposed to, as far as I remember. G2... That's where it gets a little bit more defined is you're allowed to work on anything up to 400,000 BTUs. Right. Okay. And then the G, the G1 is, is anything under the sun, anything, what, what doesn't matter what it is. It, it can be a hundred million thousand BTUs. You're allowed to work on it. So, yeah. so is that, is that like the class A is a class A is, right. is pretty much everything. And the class B is up to 400,000. I'm pretty sure I just said a hundred million thousand. Like, I don't know if it's the hot weather or lack of sleep or what it is, but that's not even a number, I don't think. <laughs> 100 million thousand, 100 million thousand BTUs. That's what it fires at. Anyway, guys, I've been talking about Company Cam. It's a pretty cool app that allows you to track all your, your projects and photos and comments and keep them all in one place, okay? The 
the images are are GPS stamped, right? And somebody said one time, well, they can do that on Dropbox, but Dropbox you have to organize and stuff like that. This here, you create a project and just start taking photos, right? And that's how easy it is. Anybody that is within your team that has access to that project can hop on and just see what's going on at any given time. That's all they got to do is click on that project and go, oh, yeah, we've got this much progress done. I see that uh, maybe the filter dryer needs to be changed because Johnny tagged that unit saying the filter dryer was kind of clogged up. Just stuff like that. It's, it's just easily tracked information. So next, I was going to talk about um, the, the Danfoss ref tools quickly because I know a lot of you guys had the refrigerant slider app. Now, you probably heard me talk about this, but the Refrigerant Slider app has now been upgraded to Ref Tools, and basically it's five apps in one. When you first hit on that app from your phone or your tablet or whatever, it brings you into the, the Refrigerant Slider, but then there's an arrow at the top, um, Backspace, and then you get to see all the other apps that are included in it, which is pretty cool. There's the troubleshooting, um, parts finder there's a bunch of stuff in there and there's there's a um a link to the cooling with jen's podcast the other week or last week to be more exact i was leak checking a unit york unit had a leak totally out of gas i added refrigerant about five psi that was in my hoses i had i had um liquid r22 in my hoses so when I put my gauges on, obviously the empty system grabbed a hold of that pressure in my hoses and it, and it brought it up to about 5 PSI in that system. I threw in nitrogen and with that small trace amount of refrigerant, the 316-3 from Testo picked that leak up through a, a pipe chase below the lid of the unit. So it's a very good leak detector. If you guys are in the market for one, trust me, it's the best bang for your buck when it comes to leak detectors out there. Um, Yellow Jacket has their new Y-Jack stuff. Basically, it's wireless tools that connects to the, the Y-Jack view app. And there's going to be a scale. I, I believe the scale has already um, come out. It's been launched. It's on their website. You guys can go check that, that scale out. It's part of the, the, the Y-Jack view. Wireless links to the, the app itself. So go to yellowjacket.com and you can check that stuff out so navac the other day i changed the compressor and i recovered the gas with the nrdd recovery machine that thing is fabulous all right and then as i'm pulling a vacuum i use the 4cfm battery powered pump with the true blue hoses and pulled the vacuum on a four ton package unit it was like 20 years old okay um on that charge not a problem so it is good for small commercial stuff not just resi, not just appliances, because I did it yesterday and, and, and I proved that to myself with the true blue hoses attached to the system. Okay, guys, let's get back to Jonathan. Oh, yes, I forgot to mention the company cam app. If you want the free trial, I'm going to leave a link in the podcast notes so you guys can click on that and check it out. That's exactly it. But I'll tell you one secret, Gary, that uh, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but... <laughs> Following these, uh, this HVAC group in Facebook group in Canada, it seems like in Ontario, they enforce that BTU rule very 
very strictly. And to get your G1 in Ontario, you have to have substantive evidence that you have been working on this equipment. You do. Okay? Yeah, you, yeah, you in do. Alberta, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit like the Wild West. And most employers will just kind of like, let me put it this way. When I did my class A intake, um, which would be like a G1 intake uh, for schooling in Ontario, most of my uh, classmates were just residential furnace technicians. And and they've never seen anything over, you know, they've never worked on a multi-million BTU boiler or a makeup error. And they've never even seen that stuff. And yet they're in, in the class doing the class A. And I'm pretty sure that would not fly in Ontario, but they're not, they're, they're not so strict about it here. So unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are class A, have the highest gas certification and are qualified to work on this equipment, but they have no experience working on that equipment here. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we have to like like again. It's been a while since I went through this, but when you get your G two, you need a certain amount of hours before you can even attempt to go do your G one, and then you need a certain amount of hours in field working on G one equipment. So anything above four hundred thousand BTUs, and and really that's supposed to be signed off by a G1 saying that, yeah, you do have these hours working on this equipment and you have gotten that experience. Now I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of fudging that goes on, right? Um, I'm I'm sure there is, but if, if you don't feel comfortable working on an appliance that has a, a fire rating of a couple million BTUs, you shouldn't be touching it because you could hurt yourself or hurt someone else. So if you're not comfortable, you should say, I'm not comfortable working on this. And, and I've, I, I've seen, I've, I've heard guys talking at the supplier and stuff. Yeah. My boss wanted me to work on this 10 million BTU boiler. And, and I had no idea how it works. I'm like, man, you probably shouldn't be working on it then <laughs> because things can happen, right? You should have somebody that's, that's trained and comfortable and, and they should be teaching you how that piece of equipment works. So the next time you go back, you have an idea, right? Yeah, and this is the this is the norm. Um, it's not unusual to see refrigeration mechanics, and who more often than not know what they're doing, but they're working on large gas fired equipment, and uh, they don't have their they don't even have their they don't even have their G two right or their Class B gas fitter. They don't even have that certification or that qualification. And unfortunately, refrigeration mechanics are are paid quite well in Canada, so there's not much incentive for them to go and do that. You really have to be a self starter and a self learner to really, after you already have one ticket, to go and do another ticket. And I don't blame people who have children, they have mortgages and car payments. I don't blame people for not doing that. But what I'm saying is, um, not only do you make yourself more employable, um, you basically, like, it's just, it's, it's just good knowledge and it's good to do things by, like, play by the rules, right? Because eventually, if these things, if these rules did start to get enforced, and they're talking about that in Alberta. They're talking about starting to crack down on unqualified people working on uh, gas-fired equipment. And if they do start to do that, then there's going to be a big crunch of there's so much gas-fired equipment and very few qualified people to work on it. So because all these refrigeration mechanics, are, a lot of them seem to be quite apathetic about getting their gas ticket. And um, I, I guess I understand. But for me, I've, I've, I enjoy school to some extent. So I, I don't mind going for two months, you know, two months or two more years and getting that ticket. 
because it's worth it in the long run. It's more knowledge and um, it's helped me keep busy, you know, uh, throughout you know, the last 10 years of my career. And uh, yeah, I, I do, I do totally, I'm a proponent of gas fitting. And I, I'm a, I am a proponent of refrigeration mechanics getting their gas ticket. I think it's super important. And it's just, it's like the other side of the coin. It's heating and cooling. You got to know how to work on heating equipment. And if you can be a great boiler mechanic, I mean, and you can work on refrigeration equipment, you'll never be out of a job. I guarantee oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, you could go anywhere in the world. You could just show up. You could just walk yeah. through the door and <laughs> show them your certificates and go, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, like, exactly. Where, 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 <laughs> which building should I go to first? Yeah. So, um, but gas fitting is funny. You know, I have a cousin who works for... Um, works for the rep for Cleaver Brooks out here. Have you heard of Cleaver Brooks? They're a big industrial yep. boiler manufacturer. Yes. So, so he works for them. He commissions Cleaver Brooks all day. And he's an electrician, right? He has no gas ticket. He has no refrigeration ticket, right? So um, it's it's in every instance, it's different, right? So he's an electrician and he goes around and works on this equipment, works on 20 million BTU boilers, easy. And, uh, you know, I guess he's got the factory training. But again, like if they were to start enforcing things like that, he'd have to get it indentured and he'd have to do that apprenticeship. And it might not be a bad thing if they did that. Yeah. It, it just cuts down on, on a lot of shady people trying to get into the trade and working on things they shouldn't really be working on and causing unsafe issues. Which also, sorry to say, it drives down wages too. So yeah. Which is- yeah. No, it, well, it, it dry, it drives down, it drives down the entire, and when, when you have somebody that, is a fly-by-nighter. They've got knowledge to thread pipe and put it together and make sure it doesn't leak, but they, they just don't know how things are supposed to go and work properly. Mm-hmm. And 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 they're underquoting uh, companies that have spent tons on training and tools and licenses, and they they start undercutting. That's what causes a huge problem in this industry because now now these companies that have spent all this money on training their their guys and have this overhead and, and all these fees they got to pay out for licensing and all, and all this. Now they got to compete with that. Right. Yeah. But they isn't this what the that. Ontario college of trades is for? I hear a, it's a very polarizing, divisive thing. And the, I only the Ontario college of trades is, yeah, it's, it's very polarizing. So it, they've actually, they've actually changed it up a little bit. So we, we used to be regulated by the, the government. It was, I think it was called the ministry of, training and apprenticeships it was called something like that and realist i think i think we were paying like somewhere in like between 60 to 80 bucks every three years as a fee to keep our license the college of trades took over and they're like okay now you need to pay us 125 dollars a year or something whatever wow. it was right and we're like but what are you doing for us <laughs> right what do you do like what what has changed that you're doing for us now they do have a website and you can type in anybody's name on the website and and find out if they're actually a registered apprentice or or a licensed technician or whatever. You can type my name in, in there and find out, right? I just actually had to pay my fee like two, three weeks ago. Yeah. So if you don't pay your fee, I think it says like pending or it doesn't say like suspended or anything. It's just, it just says something like pending payment or something. Yeah, yeah I, huh. I don't know. But you, you can look up anybody. Like if somebody comes into your house, and they're, they, my name is blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm a licensed technician. You can actually type their name into the Ontario College of Trades website and find out if they are. Whether or not people are actually doing that, 
or not. I, I don't know. Um, but I didn't see a difference in, in, in my work or my customers or my job or any, and I'm paying these fees out. So I didn't know, I don't know what that money's going towards. Right. And, and a lot of people were, were getting upset. So they've reduced the fees. They've, they last, uh, I think it was last spring, hmm. last spring. I think they, I they started. That was a big, fees. I made national news. They were talking about it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so yeah. are you red seal and do you have a red seal refrigeration ticket in Ontario? See, I did this so long ago that, and, and, and I've been so, I've been so ignorant to, to this really, because I don't have to deal with new apprentices writing their licenses and, and all that kind of stuff. Like the office deals with all of that. Yeah. But for, from what I understood, yes, just that's the short answer. Yes. I'd have to do a little bit more research into that mm-hmm. and I actually feel like a dummy because I don't know the answer to that of my own, my own, what my own ticket can do for me. But when I wrote my license, the understanding was it was a red seal, meaning that I could go to any province with that license and work with it. That right. was my understanding. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I like, you know, the Ontario College of Trades, like what you're saying on paper, it sounds like a great idea. Uh, so in theory, it's good, but like so many things in actuality or how it plays out, uh, it doesn't work out that great. But, you know, I, on paper, it sounds great to like be able to look up whoever you're hiring to work in on your furnace in your home, you can verify their credentials, which is good. But uh, at the same time, it, it does put apprentices in a tough situation because I don't know about your employer, but my employer, we have a lot of large like, national accounts. We have a lar- lot of large customers, big customers, and they'll have policies like we only want journeymen on our sites. And that's fine. But like, then when do the apprentices get to learn? You know what I mean? Unless the apprentices are riding along with the journeyman. But unfortunately, the way the industry has become so cutthroat and competitive, it's not cost effective to just have an apprentice ride along with a journeyman for four years no, until they get no, a ticket. Not. So how yeah. does an apprentice really, uh, unfortunately, more and more apprenticeships are just involve lots of FaceTiming and phone calls with your journeyman because you're kind of forced to go out there, sink or swim, you got to fake it to the customers. You can't tell the customers you're first or second year because the customers don't want you on their site because nope. more often than not, it seems like the customers are getting billed the same no matter who goes to their site, right? And um, so unfortunately, it's it's a tough trade to be an apprentice in, especially in service where you have a van and you're, you're on your own, right? It's much more straightforward in construction where you're on a construction site, there's multiple journeymen, multiple apprentices, and you know everyone gets a chance to learn something, but in in service, it's 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 a very you know tough road to navigate for apprentices these days. And oh, I, I say that because I, like I guess I've done three or four apprenticeships now. I'm not a journeyman in refrigeration yet. I am a third year with one, one more intake of school to go. So I've got a you know about another year to go. But I have done three other apprenticeships, and you know I've had to take pay cuts, and I've had to. Uh, like figure stuff out on my own when I was uh, out of my depth. And it, it can be really challenging. Um, in the long run, it is worth it. But it, I'm just saying it's super tough for apprentices these days. And I feel bad for them because they don't get the support and the guidance they need. And ultimately, everyone loses. Like the customers lose because they're getting apprentices on their sites who 
probably aren't as qualified or capable as they ought to be. And then the companies lose because their apprentices are not getting, are not as well-trained as they ought to be. And then the apprentices lose out too, because they're not getting the support and the mentorship that they deserve. I agree with you. That's, that's one of the reasons why I, I put so much time and effort and research in, into this, this app that I'm trying to build. And hopefully it, it helps some people. Um, I don't know if I, if, if you've heard me talking about it or not, but I, I don't want to, this is like a shameless plug. I don't want to sit here and talk about oh, let's that. Hear it. Let's hear it. Oh, I didn't tell you about it yet. Or sorry, I, you haven't heard, you haven't heard, you haven't heard about I, it yet. I remember you mentioning it. Like I have heard you mentioning it, but I'm okay, not. I'll, I will spend, I'll spend like one minute on this and then, then we'll get back to, 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 to you. So basically it, it's called blue collar guru. It's for right now, plumbing, uh, electrical and HVAC and refrigeration. Like I, I might add in more trades later. Like, I don't know elevator technicians and whatever's whatever technical trades I can find to add in later. If, if it works, I will. So basically the premise is, and, and there's three, there's three aspects of the app that set it apart from social media. And these three aspects, or first of all, you're going to sign up for the app. You're going to create a professional profile, pick the industry you're in and the parts of industry that you're in. So if you're in refrigeration, you can pick refrigeration. Um, or sorry, HVAC and R is, is one heading. So you pick that the subheadings are like commercial, residential, refrigeration, uh, boiler tech, VRF, um, uh, data center, whatever, whatever you're into, you pick all of them, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So you set up your profile. So now you're out and about on a service call and you come into a problem. You take a picture video. I, I think. I think that we're, we're making it, you can take five pictures or make a one minute video, put a title of the post and then write your caption. You hit send and then you pick the industry or sorry, before you hit send, you pick the, the part of the industry you want it to go to. So let's say you're on a, let's say you're a residential tech, but you're on a commercial refrigeration call. You can hit that drop down box before you hit post and pick refrigeration. So now your post is only going to go to refrigeration technicians that are on the app. That's it. It's not going to go to boiler techs. It's not going to go to electricians. It's not going to go to, you know what I mean? It's going to go to the right person or the right people. That That is one aspect of the app. The second aspect is there's going to be a search function where you can go in and type in a keyword. Um, let, let's say you talked about Hussman guys earlier. Let's say you're working on a Hussman. Uh, Hussman problem or whatever you write Hussman problem. Any anybody that's created uh, a post regarding Hussman problems will pop up, so you can go in and read them and see see what people have done. And then we're not going to have emojis like thumbs up and laughing and yeah. crying and winking and all that kind of stuff. We're going to have a rating system for answers. So if somebody's answer is good and you like it, and lots of people start rating it like five out of five or whatever their answer will their their answer will move to the top of the post so you can see who gave the best answer so you don't have to read through let's say 20 30 comments to find yeah. what you're looking for so That's, that um, that is that that is the idea that sounds great it sounds like a kind of taking elements of um what like kind of reddit and also taking elements of like uh these facebook groups that i use but then I'm if you put to, it on this like specific purpose-built app, that would be amazing. Yeah, I was trying to take the the best pieces of social media out yeah. um, and use them and then 
put my own ideas in and it, it will evolve over time as long as people start to use it. <laughs> that's that's the main thing. People got to start yeah. to use it anyway. So we're, we're done with that for now. That, that, that's still, that's, that's uh, a good two, three months away before we even come close to launching, but yeah, well, that's super um, exciting. Yeah, it, it, it should be pretty cool. So we were going to talk about some refrigeration building management systems. Now, I don't think, I know we've talked about refrigeration in the past on, on, right. on a couple of different episodes. Right. But I don't know if we got into different types of um, management systems, what they do, how they're used, um, the advantages of them. Like, do you, do you want to talk about a couple of those? Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I want to preface it by saying I'm not the uh, guru on these systems. I'm not uh, like I don't work for these companies. But what I found when I got into supermarkets is within supermarkets, there's specific types of BMS, which mainly handle the, the racks and the, the display cases, but also in some cases handle uh, the whole store's energy system, be it HVAC or be it lighting, energy management in general. And in these, in these BMS systems, you don't see them outside of supermarkets. So there's a huge learning curve um, in supermarket refrigeration because you have to learn how these, uh, these BMS systems, we'll call them, you have to learn how they work and you basically have to figure it out yourself because, again, there's no online resources that teach you how to do it. There's no YouTube resources. And these these uh, app, these uh, controllers are so niche that there's really no YouTube videos on it. There's not really anyone talking about it on you know, Instagram too much. So it's and it's it's kind of like a hidden kind of underappreciated part of the industry that if you can master it is super interesting because there's a lot of people who have mastered it. And almost all they do are commissioning supermarkets, right? So we're, be it uh, doing gas conversions from R22 to something else, or be it um, you know doing a big store reno, and they all change the controls. They'll upgrade everything and rewire everything, and they have to do all the programming. And it can be extremely complex, especially with CO2 stores. Uh, and uh, it's super interesting segment of the industry that a lot of people don't know of. So for example, Gary, you have uh, something called Microthermo and it is uh -huh. owned by Sporlin. Have you heard of okay. it? Um, I have not, no. Okay, so if Microthermo is actually a company, I believe they're based out of Quebec and they uh, are very predominant in Costco's. So if you go into a Costco, any Costco built in probably the last 20 years, they will have a Microthermo system for the, uh, for the refrigeration at the very least, possibly for the HVAC and lighting too. And you have to know how this works. It's a very complex controller uh, made up of like, in some cases, dozens of input output boards, right? Just like a regular BMS, but it's all proprietary and it's all unique. And it's all, you operate it all from a desktop computer, just like you would with a normal BMS. And you have to know how it works because it's extremely powerful and you can do so much with it um, but it, there's a learning curve to it, but it's just super exciting because it is a Canadian company and they were acquired by Sporlin. I'm not sure when. So then you see Sporlin, um, they make all these, uh, they make all this microthermo equipment now and, uh, it's extremely specialized. So that's one of them very popular in Costco's and another grocery store chain that we have out in Western Canada called save on foods. And I don't think they go out as far East as Ontario. You guys have like a Safeway and Sobeys, right? Um, I haven't seen a Safeway in forever, but we got Sobeys, okay. yes. 
So, so Sobeys, they don't use that. They use Emerson's uh, supermarket controller more often than not, just called the E2, uh, also known as the Einstein. And that's Emerson's supermarket controller. And again, it's, um, it's a little bit more um, rudimentary uh, than the microthermo. It's an older platform, but it's extremely powerful. You can run multiple racks off of one E2. You can control heat reclaim loops. So for example, on your Instagram, you posted that, uh, recently you posted that heat reclaim valve, right? Yep. And that's like, that, that's a bit small for what you would see in a supermarket, but almost every supermarket has those, right? So actually this Thursday, I am changing out a heat reclaim tank uh, for one of our supermarket customers wherein they use the discharge gas, that waste heat from the discharge gas, and they preheat the incoming uh, domestic water to the store. And these, these are actually electric tanks, so it, it uses the discharge gas to heat up the water, then the electric elements do the rest of the work, getting the water up to temp. And it's, uh, it's just interesting things like that that um, are becoming very common in supermarkets. Um, and so E2 controller can do that. Uh, E2 is also common in Walmart, um, in Loblaws stores. Like, do you guys have Superstore out in Ontario? Yeah, we do. Okay. So in superstores, Loblaws, those are all um, microthermo, but uh, Sobeys are usually uh, usually E2s. Um, in the CO2s, Sobeys stores, you're starting to see more microthermo. Um, the the CO2 shift in the industry is really starting to, starting to shake things up because you're starting to see uh, rack rooms look a lot different than they used to because you're running like with these transcritical and subcritical racks, it looks like a it's like a compound refrigeration system. The suction of one, or the discharge of one, it goes through an intercooler and then goes into the suction of the next stage. And um, so it's just it's very hard to keep up, to be honest. But uh, there's also another one called Novar, and Novar is not specific to supermarkets because you'll see Novar in I don't know like certain uh, retail chains, like Staples I think has Novar. A Home Depot has Novar. These are big national chains, and so they have. They all have these standardized uh, BMSs they like to use. So if you work for a big company that has these national accounts, you start to get very familiar with the things like Novar E2 Microthermo, which, uh, which unfortunately you kind of have to figure out on your own because it, there's not a lot of uh, there's not there's not very good tech support for this stuff, and there's not a lot of online resources for this stuff either. And it's super fascinating. And you don't have to be a controls tech to get good at it, right? You pretty much have to get good at it to be in the supermarket industry. And um, you pretty much have to be a self-learner to figure it out, unfortunately. Uh But I'd like to see that change with COVID because, as you know, Gary, I I don't know. A lot of manufacturers have been putting more uh, literature and webinars and videos online because of COVID. Uh, And I think we'll see more training move to an online platform. So I think that could be one of the good outcomes of COVID is that we see this um, proprietary information be published online so that more people have access to it. Because a lot of the industry training, like you had a guy named Trevor Matthews on your podcast. And actually, he used to, he used to work for my employer, Gateway Mechanical. I think he started with them in Alberta anyway, um, before he moved on to Emerson. But uh, so... He does lots of this interesting Copeland compressor training, stuff like that. I think maybe he used to do Liebert training too. I'm not sure. Emerson doesn't own Liebert anymore, but... No, they don't, no. Yeah. But anyhow, um, so this training, 
It's all like you have to fly somewhere to do it half the time. You're lucky you're in Ontario, so you're very close to where a lot of this training happens. But unfortunately, um, you know, getting sent for training in another city or another state or province is that if you get that as a technician, you are very lucky because those those opportunities are far and few between these days. Yeah, I haven't had to travel really much to train. I had to, I had to do a five hour road trip down down the 401 to ottawa for training one time but that 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 was pretty much it i was i was gonna ask you did you have you ever seen the um so like i don't know much about supermarket uh bms that's 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 why i got you on telling me about it Mm -hmm. but there there's a cool one that uh it's it's a case sorry it's a case controller just for different um cases and and it's it's by Danfoss. It's called Adapt Cool, where you actually have a, an app on your phone, yeah. and you can go you can go open up the case, and I guess you can link to it via Bluetooth or or I'm not sure Wi-Fi. I'm not really too sure about how you link to it, but you can actually pull up like I'm looking at a picture online right now of a of a bar a line graph, and you can actually see the case's performance over a certain range of time, which that that's pretty cool to me. But I, I yeah. guess a lot of this you, you can see from a desktop computer, but this just gives you the option of going mobile. Is, is yeah. any of the controllers that you work on or, or know have this kind of capability? That's a great question. So um, this like Adaptcool and Danfoss case controllers used to be something like, used to be cases do not have their own controllers. You maybe would have a solenoid, maybe uh, like an EPR, also known as a CDS valve is very common from Sporling. But you have some kind of EPR, you'd have a solenoid and maybe, you know, check valve and a TXV and, you know, you'd, you'd have your def- hot gas defrost go through, go through the check valve. And, um, but you wouldn't have a case controller. But with CO2 stores, every case has a controller. And the, the Danfoss ones are the ones that I have seen. And they are... Uh, extremely powerful. I haven't had a chance to use the app. I don't know if the ones I've seen are enabled for apps yet. I, I should look into it though, because all these tools are useful, right? So uh, Danfoss is a very big in this uh, uh, case controller industry though. And they do have some pretty sophisticated equipment. It is This one some... is called, if, if you if you want to look it up, it's, I think it's called the AK-CC55 case controller. So, I mean, that, that, is, that is the, I'm just looking at a picture of it and it's somebody's holding up their phone to the controller and you can actually see a bar graph or a line graph of the performance over it. I can't, it's hard to see, make out the range of time on it, but I it, it's got that capability. I didn't know that they were enabled to work with an app though. So I'm super curious to try that out. And that's, um, you know, Danfoss actually is a great leader in putting out educational university or something, but they have a whole website where there's so much like a wealth of resources for just, if you just want to sit at home and learn all day, because it's, because you're not getting many hours because of COVID or something, you can sit on Dan Foss's website all day and just learn new stuff and educate yourself. They are. Oh yeah. 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 They they have fabulous resources and, and, and I've been, I've been pumping their tires a lot lately because I've been, they're actually a, a sponsor of the podcast and, and everything that I've been promoting from them, pretty much everything is, is free content that anybody can, that, that anybody can have or use or, or reference or look up. Like they've been pumping out webinars, uh, 
Um, they got these infograms that that have a bunch of information on them, <laughs> and they have. Uh, Jeez, what else? What else? What was that? <laughs> I was pumping out a, a bunch of information. So it, it was it was the infograms, the webinars, and there was a bunch of other stuff, man. I'm, well, I'm have you heard my, of the uh, I'm, I'm losing my mind here? <laughs> have you heard of the Danfoss Turbo Core Compressor? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I I, I so, don't I haven't had the opportunity to work on one, but but I've heard of them. Yes, I haven't either. But they they are becoming more common. You know, in theory, okay. So you have. Um, magnetic bearings so you don't need oil which is i don't know if that ultimately in the end means that there's less maintenance involved but on paper it sounds great and they are becoming more predominant and you see multiple chiller manufacturers using these turbo core compressors it's fascinating like um of course uh, daikin use them and then uh motivera uses them smart chillers use them um trying to think of who else i've seen them on Oh, uh, Dunham Bush chillers use Danfoss turbo core compressors. Dunham so, Bush is yeah. still in business. Yeah, I forgot about that name, Dunham Bush. You know what? I think Dunham Bush is uh, bigger in Asia. And oh, are they? Okay, they're they're definitely not very predominant in North America, but they do a lot of business in Asia. So um, that is what I do know. But yeah, so Danfoss are super interesting. They make this turbo core compressor. They don't really make chillers per se, but they make this compressor and it's very popular with chillers. So uh, I would love to get to work on them. Unfortunately, I live in Edmonton. There are not a lot of high rises in Edmonton. So the fewer high rises you have in a city, you know, the fewer chillers you're gonna have, right? At least for comfort cooling chillers. So there aren't a ton here. And that's kind of why I haven't, like I would like to work on more on um, centrifugal chillers, but a lot of that work is still done in-house by the company that manufactured it. So you got a York chiller and, you, and Johnson Controls has the contract, or you got a carrier chiller, carrier has the contract, or, you know, train chiller, train does the contract. And these manufacturers do their hardest to keep it that way by making things more and more proprietary. Like I changed, I was working on a train chiller the other day, and um, just to change a suction transducer, you have to have this application on your computer. So you have to plug in your computer to the chiller controller, and then you need the special train software. And then you just need in general to know how to do it, which in and of itself requires training. So luckily we have uh, gateway mechanical does have a technician who used to work closely with train and is, he's done the train, um, the train training on these chillers. So he knew how to do it, but otherwise uh, it's becoming more and more proprietary work on these things so and when you live in a city like Edmonton there there isn't enough of this work to begin with so I don't work on a ton of centrifugal chillers some screw chillers um you know some lots of air-cooled chillers with screw compressors or scrolls or what have you but uh, I find I that is one thing I wish I, I wish I would have lived in Vancouver or Toronto or a bigger metropolis because I think there's a lot more chiller work in these cities and you can be a full-time chiller mechanic whereas in Edmonton the chiller mechanics are also working on rooftop units just to keep busy sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the amount of condos that are in Toronto, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, you could keep busy being a chiller mechanic for sure. And just, just, just so you know, I wasn't losing my mind earlier. I was trying to think of all the three <laughs> resources that Dan Foss had. And the other two things I was trying to talk about was the apps. Um, Cause they got a, a ton of cool apps and then their, their animations that they've got that, 
that you can find on YouTube. Anyway, I just want to, I just want to, I, I thought I was losing my mind there because I couldn't think of all these free resources. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. so the, the next thing that we were going to discuss and we will kind of end it off with this is that you said that you wanted to touch on basically working through a, a down economy or a recession or even COVID now, like some yeah. of the things that you've done to keep yourself busy. Well, I've done it three times now. So first time was uh, in, during the so-called Great Recession, I guess they call it, or the financial meltdown. So I was uh, apprentice in sheet metal at that time. And that was a super like eye-opening experience for me because I realized how fragile the economy was and how precipitous and precarious uh, my employment could be. So at that time, I, you know, I was still thinking about going to university. Um, but ultimately I did resolve to stay in the trades and that's how I ended up starting my plumbing apprenticeship. And part of the reason I started my plumbing apprenticeship was the idea was if I'm going to stay in the trades, I'm going to take it as far as I can. I'm going to uh, make myself as employable as I can because I do not want to be jobless next time the economy crashes. I want to be yeah. busy through, through a recession and that can be very difficult, but one, the, the game changer for me was getting my plumbing ticket. So even like, even if I wasn't doing HVAC service or supermarket refrigeration, I could go do plumbing and you know what? I would make less money. They don't make as much money, but it's still good on honest days work. And it's still work that I enjoy. Like if I had a choice between sitting at home unemployed or, or, you know, unclogging a urinal, I'll, I'll take the urinal every day. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, um, so that is the main game changer for me was getting multiple tickets. And I highly recommend anyone, any of your listeners who work for companies that do more than one trade. And I know a lot of people just work for service HVAC companies. So you don't have this opportunity, but increasingly in this industry, Gary, you have companies that try to do everything in house and maybe sometimes it doesn't work out perfectly, but a lot of times like all the companies I've worked for do HVAC and plumbing. So why wouldn't I get my plumbing ticket and my get and get into HVAC, right? It's a no brainer, especially when you, you know, in some cases there was a pay cut, but it's short-term pain for long-term gain. And uh, I'm glad I did it because even, um, you know, in Alberta, then this is mostly unique to Alberta, but in 2014, the oil price crashed uh, quite severely and it really hasn't recovered since. Um, but it, our economy, you know, specific to Alberta, went into another recession and things became uh, quite like a lot more competitive and resources became more scarce and companies had to become more competitive and there were layoffs, yada, yada, yada. So, uh, so even during that time, I was super glad that I think around that time I was finishing up my plumbing apprenticeship and starting my gas fitter apprenticeship. And um, by dint of being a plumber, I already had my class B gas fitter certification. So I essentially just had one more year to get my class A, the G1. And so I'm glad I did that. And um, like I said, I've always done air conditioning. So it was natural for me to get into uh, air conditioning because my employer did air conditioning. They did refrigeration and um, they do ammonia too, right? I don't really work on the ammonia stuff, but I know there aren't too many companies that will do ammonia and plumbing and supermarkets, right? Most supermarket companies do that really well. And that's all they do. They do supermarkets. And then most of these big industrial refrigeration companies that work on ammonia systems, that's its own beast. And they just stick to that. And that's fine. But I'm lucky enough to work for a company 
that does all of that. So I want to learn all of that. And I know there's other companies like that out there. I'm trying to think of who would be out there in Ontario. I, you may have heard of a company called Ainsworth. Have you heard of them? Oh, yeah. There, there, there's a few. There's Ainsworth. There's Plan Group. Yeah. Um, there, there's a company called NG. Uh, they, they, they do like they do everything they've got. I'm pretty sure they even even got mill rights that that work for some of these companies. Wow. And see, that's one ticket. I, I don't once I'm done this ticket, Gary, once I have my refrigeration ticket, I'm done. My wife, I'm 33. My wife would not be cool with me going to school again. But well, the, <laughs> the fact that you're 33 and you're going to have four tickets is is incredible, though. I appreciate that, that, it. That's Thank incredible. That, that's that's I, incredible. I don't know anybody. I literally don't know anybody that has, I don't think I know anybody that has three tickets, Never mind four. Yeah, I, I suppose it's quite rare, um, but uh, I just, I like being productive, right? So I like learning new things. And on the topic of mill rice, uh, becoming more into refrigeration has given me appreciation of what mill rights do and how more often than not, our, our trade does overlap with mill rights quite a bit with bigger air handling units bigger compressors. And I just, I think that's an incredible career as well. And I, you know, in an, in another lifetime, maybe that's something I would have gotten into, but um, I do have a lot of respect for those guys and they do some super interesting, super dangerous and interesting work. So. Yeah. I, we, we actually, I have one of my customers is a, a tool and die shop mm-hmm. and I've, I've taken things to him before. Uh, like for instance, we had, um, we had to change some blowers and shafts on some server room units and they had to be done like ASAP and we couldn't wait for the, the OEM part. So we just got like generic shafts that didn't have the, the keys cut in the right place. And, and you know what I mean? We'd never had a flat spot for the, the blower wheel to fasten down. So I took the shaft and the blower wheel into this guy. I'm like, I need a key here. I need a flat spot here. He's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> no was, he was done. He was in, in, in like an hour. He had it all done. He was like, awesome. Here you go. I'm like, cool, man. Like, That's amazing. It, it, it's, it's a very skilled, yeah. It's a very skilled trade for, yeah. for sure. If you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to be able to do it. Just like every trade. You're yeah. skilled, you're trained, you're taught, and you go out and you get the experience and you become, hopefully you become like a master at it. Yeah, um, and and, 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 and you, you progress, but I was, I was blown away by how quick and how precise that he did the shaft for me. And he's, and then we slid the blower wheel on and we put the, we put the key into the keyway that he made. And it was like, it fit perfectly. I'm like, wow, wow. This, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like we could almost do what a millwright does. It just takes us 10 times longer and we probably will fuck it up along the way. Right. <laughs> Well, right. and, and we don't, well, and we, we don't really have the equipment to do it. Like, we don't have a lathe at our shop. Or anything yeah, like that. yeah, this is true. But, um, that's, that's interesting. So just on a side note, was that a Liebert that had that issue that you were replacing the shop? It was on? actually, it was actually a CompuWare. Oh, okay. You heard of CompuWare? No, but, um. They're, they're made out in, they're made out in California and they're, they're, I've worked on some that, that were okay. The, the ones that I'm specifically speaking of, I don't like the design of them because if you open up the door to the to the machine to check electrical or the compressors yeah. or the humidifier, you're opening up to the blower cabinet. Oh, that's brutal. That's horrible. So how, how, do you, how do you get in and, and start checking amp draws and yeah. stuff like that? And then you, 
like you have to you have to like be very very careful there's no loose bits of paper or or anything around because if it gets sucked in i i've seen i've seen the smallest like like the a sticker backing off a tiny little sticker fly into a blower wheel and it caused the thing to rumble just because it was so okay. unbalanced from that. wow right yeah. so you got to be very careful that you you don't allow anything to be sucked in when you open up the door yeah just just to check amp draw of a compressor it's it's terrible yeah it's a terrible actually, i i asked that because i'm dealing with some Lieberts right now well one Liebert in particular it's an older unit maybe 20 years old but it is just uh making the most god-awful racket and i can't figure out if it's coming from the belts or the pulleys or the bearings and it's just it just I think it's belt slip, but it just moves so fast, especially when it bangs on. It's just hard start, contactor pulls in, blower motor comes on, and those things move so much air. The motor spins so fast, and the the shafts and the blower wheels are so big that uh, they just, if everything is not completely perfect and balanced, those things will make a total racket. It can can be hard to figure out what exactly is the source of the issue. And and you know what? Uh, We brought in... um... We were having we were having some issues like that. You could you could go along and and touch one unit and it would be it would be like smooth. You touch the other unit and it would be like you could feel the vibration was 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 intensely more than the one before it. Yeah. But you'd open it up, you you check the bearings, the pulleys, and alignments of the belts, and everything was fine. Like you couldn't see anything physically wrong. Huh. And then we brought in a we brought in a fan balancer, and this guy was. This guy was phenomenal. And what he does, I don't know if if people still do it this way or not, but he had this this little diagram of like, this is going back a while. So I'm trying to picture what this diagram looked like. It almost looked like uh, a bunch of wheels or circles drawn. um, So outwards. So there'd be a smaller one than a bigger one, bigger one, bigger one. It was going outwards. I I think this is what it looked like, right? And and he would he would spin the wheel, he'd look at it, put a put a little clip somewhere, and then mark it down on his little on his little diagram, spin it again, put put something, put a clip somewhere else, like a weight, like a, one of those weighted oh. clips that yeah. you see on blower wheels. Yeah. And then he'd spin it again and put one somewhere else. And then when he was done, we'd start the thing up and the vibration would be gone. No way. Right. And I'm like, wow, like, how did you do that? And he's trying to explain it to me how, how he did it and stuff. And it just, I'm sure if, if you sat down and actually learned it, you'd understand it. But in the 10 minutes Spiele gave me, I'm like, okay, just stop talking. Cause I don't understand right now. (laughs) I'd have to take a class on this to figure this out properly and do it myself. Right. So, but we, we've hired him for a couple of different things and he's done a fabulous job at just getting rid of vibration on fans. Yeah, and is he is he a millwright? I have no idea what he is, to okay. be honest with you. Because I know a lot of I, I, a lot I don't of, know what his yeah I don't know what his trade is. Because we do we do use millwrights for aligning um, the open shaft motors with the, sorry open shaft compressors with motors. He might be he might he might be a millwright then because I think he does a lot of I think he does a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah. And also vi- and vibration like analysis, also something I don't do too much of, but our industrial guys who work on the big Mycoms and Frick and uh, Belter screw compressors, they will use vibration analysis. And it's a form of predictive analysis to see, you know, how much longer you have on this compressor before you need to do a teardown. 
lots of oil samples, right? Oil samples of the yin yang. And, uh, you know, we do oil samples on supermarkets too, but uh, just with these compressors that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's just a little bit more critical, right? With a, comp with a supermarket, there's usually so much redundancy, uh, at least there ought to be. Usually, Gary, what happens is you have a supermarket rack. It's designed for like peak summer usage. So let's say you have six compressors on the low temp rack. Uh, but at any given time, one compressor will be tagged out because it needs a new valve plate. The other compressor will be have the issues. So that one's tagged out. So at any given time, you usually on these older racks, these older supermarkets, you may not have full capacity on a rack. So things do get pretty critical pretty fast once a critical you know piece of equipment goes down and you're losing capacity. And you know, it's just that is sometimes our jobs can be stressful. And you would know because if you spend time in server rooms, you know that they're designed to have redundancy. But sometimes the redundancy breaks down, and then the main and then the, the main like uh, piece of equipment breaks down. And then when you have a true emergency in a in a data room, it can be extremely stressful. And there's a lot of pressure to get that fixed quick. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. Super. It can take years off your life. I swear to God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, not all data rooms are designed with redundancy and and that that is a, a huge i've been in a, a lot of them where they had one machine that machine goes down there it, it, it's panic city and yeah. if, if they don't put in redundancy and i'm going to give this advice to to anybody that's listening you work in a data center or you work on anything that has no redundancy first thing that you should do is tell them you need redundancy here because if this goes down this is critical um, you're going to have a problem and you want to write that on your first work order or whatever work order, you, wh whenever you're there, you want to write that down, right? Because now you've covered your butt. You've told them physically to their face and you've written it down. This needs redundancy. It's critical. Now, when that one piece of equipment fails, don't rush over there. Don't, don't panic. Don't do things that you shouldn't be doing because you're trying to get things up and running quicker that's on them. That's their fault. You need to take your time and bring the thing back up properly in the way it's supposed to be brought back up. Um, I, I've been through this before mm -hmm. a ton of times. And, and I'll tell you, I stopped, I stopped getting frustrated and, and panicked out and, and getting coming down on myself in these situations where the customer would not put redundancy or backup into the rooms. Because at that point, it's not your fault. It's their fault. And if they're yeah. pressuring you, you say, listen, <laughs> you guys don't have backup. You want this up, up and running. It's going to take what it takes. And th that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. The worst is when they tell you, oh, it costs us $100,000 a day when this is down or a million dollars a day. You know? Yeah. Well, how much <laughs> does it cost for that new, new, new <laughs> backup? You know what I mean? How much does that cost? Yeah. No, I hear you. <laughs> so funny. I, we, so I have a customer and it's funny because about, I think it was 2013 because we were just going through some of the, the quotes for this customer. 2013, the guy that was in charge of, uh, we'll, we'll do this and we'll, and we'll wrap it up because we've yeah. been on for a while. So sure. it, it was 2013 and he comes to me and he's like, I need backup for these two coolers because if those go down, I'm in a lot of shit because there's a lot of money in those coolers. Mm -hmm. So we put backup in. 
since we put the backup in, the older units that have been there for now, the primary units, or we call them primary because they were the first ones there. But what we do is we, we rotate um, every PM. We, we, we switch one as primary and the other backup just so they have equal run times. Yeah. But we put them in. And since then, there's been a lot of problems with those older primary units. So, and, and they've actually gone down, like failed. So imagine you never put those in. Yeah. Sorry. Well, my, son, my son is looking at me saying, well, oh. you say goodnight to me. <laughs> so we're, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap that up there. And sure. then uh, I, I appreciate you getting on with me, man. Um, and yeah, and all so of the stuff we talked about, it's good info. And, and I want to commend you for tackling four apprenticeships and, and, and battling through those and having four trades under your belt because that's that's nuts you could commend my wife because my i have to i have to thank my wife she has been very patient with me and wondering when this is going to end but i keep telling her it's going to end soon and it will but uh but yeah thank you so much for having me on uh it's a great honor uh, i think you do great work and uh i hope i you know touched on enough topics i, I can talk about this stuff all day right so and i have a lot of opinions a lot of thoughts in my head but I just wanted to highlight some interesting things about the industry, like supermarket controls, Nova, oh, E2, yeah. Danfoss controllers. And uh, I wanted to emphasize that it's good to expand your knowledge. And if you can get more apprenticeships, get other tickets, if you are able to, in a position to, because it will, it will set you up for uh, weathering super, you know, super bad economies like we're in now. And hopefully this doesn't last long because I know a lot of people who are, who are not getting full-time hours right now. Um, I've been lucky, but that's because I've been hustling, right? So you got to mm -hmm. hustle. You got to hustle with your work. You got to hustle the customers ethically, but you have to hustle and you have to hustle to get to increase your education and increase your skill set. No one's going to do that for you. You have to be independent. You have to be a self starter and a self learner to really be successful in this industry. So it's these discussions with technicians that are out in this industry doing, doing great things that I love. I love these conversations because not only do I learn from them, but you guys get to learn from them too. And we get to sit and listen to, to things we're interested in. You can take tidbits away from different uh, portions of the conversation. Oh, I didn't know that about that. I didn't know that about that. And every time I have a conversation with another technician, it doesn't matter where they're from in the world. Canada, the US. Um, I actually have to start getting a little bit more global with, with the podcast. It's just really hard with the the time difference. It's really hard with the time difference to schedule up a podcast because over in the UK and Europe and all that, they are like they are a few hours ahead of us, right? So when I sit down in the evenings, they're sleeping. So these things are hard 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 to do, but Anytime I hop onto the podcast, it doesn't matter what city you live in in North America, who you are, I always take something away from it. And I hope you guys, the listeners, also take something away because that's the whole point of all of this is to learn. And Jonathan, good on you, man, for, for taking control of your situation and grabbing up all these licenses and going for your fourth. That, that is incredible stuff. And I commend you on that. And just keep kicking ass, man. Okay, that's it, guys. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. 
TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.